You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. If you want to be opening your Bibles, we're going to be in Micah chapter 5 today. Uh, and I wonder, I'm curious, what are you looking for? You know, this time of year where we're making our wish lists, aren't we? Uh, we make our list, check it twice, all that kind of things. But let, we're, we're thinking about the things that maybe we want that we don't have. But let's expand that out a little bit. What are you looking for for your life? What is it that you're seeking that you do not yet have? You know, it's been my experience that most people, most of us think we're just one or two tweaks away from being really happy or comfortable or where we want to be. And so, man, if I can just get the newest version of this or that, or if I can develop this discipline that I'm lacking or figure out this life hack or shuffle some people around, you know, get one person out of my life, or if I can meet the right person or get just one or two things off of my plate, I'll be where I want to be. I'll be happy. We're calling this Advent series, we're calling it Foretold. And what we're doing is we're going back to the Old Testament. We're looking at some of these prophecies about Jesus. Because, y'all, by the time Jesus shows up in the New Testament, everyone was looking for a Messiah. Everyone was looking for a Savior. And so what we want to do is we want to look back at these scriptures that they were reading. And, and if we can figure out what they were looking for, maybe we can see this Messiah, the Savior, in a new light. Today we're going to be in the book of Micah. Now, y'all, Micah was a country preacher sent to the big city. In fact, he was sent to two big cities. He went to both Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, and to Jerusalem, which was the capital of the southern kingdom. And he had a long ministry. He was a prophet for several decades, spanned three different kings uh, in that time. And God sent Micah essentially with one message. To, he said, go tell the people what they ought to be looking for is salvation. That's what they should be looking for. But y'all, at the beginning of Micah's ministry, do you think they said, oh, verily, Micah, we, we hear you and we believe and we repent? No. At the beginning of Micah's ministry, men and women, the, the people's initial response was, nah, we're good. We don't, Micah, look around. We don't need salvation. And you know what? For the, from their perspective, they were kind of right. Israel was at its peak. It was the most prosperous it had ever been. It was the safest it had ever been. It was the most religious it had ever been. And so they, would, they kind of said to Michael, Michael, look around, man. We've built the most godly society the world has ever known. We don't need saving. And so if you went back there, if you could travel through time and we could go ask Joe Average Israelite at the beginning of Micah's ministry, hey, what are you looking for? You know what they'd say? I think a lot of the same things we say. I'm just, I'm just looking for one or two tweaks. Man, if the economy could get a little bit better, you know, if I could just get one or two, God to bless me in these one or two ways, if, if I could just get a little more comfort, then I'll be happy. But no one, no one was looking for salvation. That's all changed by the time we get to chapter 5. Because by the time we get to chapter 5, 
Jerusalem is literally under a siege. The mighty and violent Assyrians have marched across. They came from the east. They came to the northern kingdom at first, and they, uh, they overcame it. They conquered it, and now they've turned south, and they're marching down south towards Jerusalem. And they will lay siege to Jerusalem, we think, for as many as two years. Now, when you find your city under a siege from the most violent, treacherous people the world has ever known, your wish list changes, doesn't it? What you're looking for changes a little bit, doesn't it? When your city is under siege, y'all, there is, it's a short list of possibilities. There's really only two possibilities of what tomorrow could bring, destruction or salvation. That's the only two things in the cards. And so in chapter 5, Micah's big idea and our big idea today is this. When you are under siege, look for the shepherd. When you are under siege, look for the shepherd. Let's read together. Micah 5, we'll start in verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you... O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord." and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the end of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So you see it in verse 1. It opens with a siege. And it's a literal siege, but you know, the first four chapters of Micah have been all about him trying to show them, trying to make them see that they were under a siege long before the Assyrians showed up. But it wasn't a siege of their city, it was a siege of their hearts. And it's not by the Assyrians, it is by sin. But see, their mentality was, God thinks we're awesome. God thinks we're really great, he really does, you know, because we're so religious, we, we've got so much prosperity, that's how you know. That's how you know God really likes us, is because we're, we're prospering so much. He is blessing us because he is so pleased with us. That was their mentality. But while that was their mentality, what was going on, and Micah particularly speaks to the leaders in the culture, he points out that the religious leaders, they, they used religious activity to justify their immorality. So they're full of immorality, but they say, but, but we're doing so much for God. I mean, we're leading this whole society to God, so it can't be all bad. The civic leaders, they justified wickedness. They justified corruption because they said, well, we're bringing prosperity to God's people, so it must be fine. And so it's the old ends justify the means approach. And, you know, you, you read the first four chapters of Micah. In those first four chapters, God tells them what he thinks about what they're doing. And if you go read those first four chapters, it is language that will make you uncomfortable. It will make you uncomfortable that God speaks that way. This is that Old Testament God that people talk about. And I, I don't know how to summarize it other than God hates it. 
He hates it. In fact, Isaiah, he's a contemporary of Micah, so they did their ministry at the same time. And so there's a place in Isaiah where, where God says, your offerings make me vomit. They make me sick to my stomach. I, I, th- your religious practices are abhorrent to me. That's the language God's using here. Because in the, the reality is, y'all, in the midst of all of their prosperity, in the midst of all their religious practice, their hearts were under siege to sin. And so in Micah, God makes it, he makes it very simple for them. He, he boils it down for them. I mean, he tells them what he wants from his people. And it's a great verse. I think one of the greatest passages in this, all of Scripture is probably the most famous verse in all of Micah, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Justice, kindness, humility. These are matters of the heart, aren't they? And so God looks at them and says, I don't care how great you think your nation is. Justice, kindness, humility. That's what I want for my people. And so God says, since you refuse to acknowledge that your heart is under siege to sin, I will make your city under siege to the Assyrians. You know, this is how it always works. Always works in the Bible. Over and over again. External threats are only effective after internal defeats. External threats. They're only effective after internal defeats. Not long ago, we studied Joshua, right? And they had no army. They were not powerful. They were not strong. Everyone they faced was stronger than they were, but they had faith. Their hearts belonged to God, and so all they had to do was walk around the city a few times, and that whole mighty city fell. It was not a threat. It's the same in the New Testament. So we've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians. Y'all, how many problems, how many threats, how many issues are in the book of 1 Corinthians over and over and over again? But you need to know, the Corinthian church lived in a culture whose immorality was on a scale we have a hard time fathoming. And so no matter how anti-God you think parts of our culture are, and they are, they were worse. And yet, You read the whole book, all the things he warns them about. There's no calls to a culture war. There's no calls to rally against the pagan, immoral Roman leaders. What does he tell them? Model the cross. The pinnacle of the book is the love chapter. Love one another. That's the internal battle you have to fight. You know, the whole book of 1 Corinthians is essentially a call to Micah 6, 8. Do justice, love kindness, walk humbly. So I hope you know this morning, I hope you know your greatest threats are not external. They are internal. The most dangerous siege in your life is not the siege of your city. It is the siege of your heart. But in Micah, the people refused. They refused to deal with their own hearts. And so the Assyrian siege came And that's where we are in chapter 5. And in chapter 5, into this judgment, into this mess, as the mighty violent armies are camped outside the city walls, Micah gives one of the greatest messages of hope you will find in your Bibles. He inserts a Christian message 
right here. Well, why here? That seems like a bad place. No, no, it is the exact perfect place for the Christmas message. I like the way commentator Gary W. Charles said it. He said, the stories of Advent are dug from the harsh soil of human struggle and the littered landscape of dashed dreams. They are told from the vista where sin still reigns supreme and hope has gone on vacation. Listen, this this morning I want you to know if you do not realize that your heart is under the siege of sin, the Christmas message will never make any sense to you. But, But for the ones who realize that in this world sin still reigns, those who experience struggle and dashed dreams, Micah has a Christmas message for us. And the first thing he tells them, the first thing he tells them is what they should be looking for. Rather, where to be looking. So in verse 2, he tells them where to look. He says, look to Bethlehem. And this was surprising because, y'all, as he says, Bethlehem's too little. It's too small. And that word he uses there, small, little, it means small in all of its connotations. So literally small, small population, but also insignificant, unimportant. Nothing of any substance will ever come from a place like that. That's how it always been treated. And so when he says it's too small to be among the tribes of Judah, he, some, tra- some translations may say to be counted among the tribes of Judah. Y'all, he literally means it is too insignificant for anyone to ever even write it down. So there's a couple places in the Old Testament they make lists. And so Joshua is one of those. They made a list of all the lands they conquered. No one even bothered to write down Bethlehem. Too small. Same in Nehemiah when they go and recover a lot of the promised land. Nobody includes Bethlehem. It's too small. It's too insignificant to even be be written down. Now, God didn't have to do it that way. God could have sent the Savior from Jerusalem. Why? Why Bethlehem? Well, there's two reasons. One of the reasons is because he's showing that Jesus, this Messiah, is the Davidic king. He's from the line of David, and this is where David come from. But that's, that part is true, but that's not actually the emphasis here. The emphasis here is on its insignificance. That's the whole point. It reminded me of where me and Melissa used to live before we moved to Texas. We lived in Nashville, Tennessee. Music City, Right? And there was a sense when you lived in Nashville, everyone you met, everywhere, no matter what actual job they were doing, however they were actually making a living, they were there to put out their music and do some music. And it's because there was a sense if, man, all the famous people come from Nashville. And so if you want to make it, that's where you need to come from. In fact, I I was totally a fish out of water, y'all, because I'm tone deaf uh, and have no music. Many of you have heard my tone deafness as we worship together. I'll never forget one time we were at a party, and the common question there is, so tell me about your music. That's because everybody got music. So me and this guy, he's like, so tell me about your music. And I was like, oh, oh, I don't. I do zero music. I have no musical ability. And he goes, really? That's fascinating. Tell me more. I'm like, you, you want me to tell you more about what I don't do? But I was like the only guy he'd ever met that wasn't there to get my music out there. See, there's a sense that in Nashville, in that place, our our collective culture creates greatness. And all the movers and shakers are there. And and 
You know, it's, it's where human creativity kind of reaches its zenith. And so in Nashville, we together make great things happen. Here, God says, I don't need any of that. The point of Bethlehem is that God is removing any hint of human effort, human ability, human worthiness. He is saying, I will bring greatness out of nothing with no contribution from you. I like the way John Piper summed it up. He said, the deepest meaning of the littleness and insignificance of Bethlehem is that God does not elect cities or people because of their prominence or grandeur or distinction. When he chooses, he chooses freely in order to magnify the glory of his own mercy, not the glory of our distinctions. So let us say with the angels, glory to God in the highest, not glory to us. We get the joy, but he gets the glory. That is the point of Bethlehem. We may get the joy, but he gets the glory. And that's the point. That's the point of the end of verse 2 where he says, okay, he's going to come out of Bethlehem, but Bethlehem's not where he's from. He's from of old. He is from ancient of days. That word ancient, that's the Hebrew word for everlasting. It is a word they only used for God. And so you can go read, you can go read Psalm 90 when it says from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's from ancient to ancient, you are God. And so there is only one meaning of that phrase. This Savior is going to be God himself. You see, men and women, there's something God is telling us by, by telling a people in a siege to look to God coming from Bethlehem. See, there's a lesson we can all learn from a siege. When you are in a siege, no matter how many resources you have or you think you have, it's not enough. It's not enough. The enemy is going to wait you out until you run out of whatever resources you have. I grew up in North Louisiana, but it was not far from Vicksburg, Mississippi was a famous Civil War battlefield. So I remember as a kid going on field trips and, and learning all about the siege of Vicksburg when U.S. Grant laid siege to Vicksburg. And you know, at the time, it was a very prosperous city. They had a lot of resources. They were an important hub on the Mississippi River. That's why the Union Army wanted it. But you know, during the siege, the town got a new nickname. They called it Prairie Dog City because they, they had all these Beautiful antebellum homes, mansions even. But during the siege, those homes could not protect them from the Union cannonballs. So they had to go dig caves in the hills of Vicksburg. They dug up to 500 caves, the population of the city did, just trying to stay safe. One historian wrote, you know, halfway into the siege, all of a sudden you didn't see any horses or donkeys or dogs walking around. By the end of the siege, people were eating shoe leather because it was the only food they had. That's all they could do. Rich, prosperous city. But in a siege, even the strongest and wealthiest cannot save themselves. So I wonder, you know, I wonder if, you, if we could all, again, hop back in our time machine. This time, let's go back to Vicksburg. Let's crawl into one of those 500 caves, go up to somebody and ask them, what are you looking for? We'd get the same answer every time, wouldn't we? 
I'm looking for someone to come and save us. We need someone who is not of us, who is not trapped in these caves with us to come save us. And that's what Micah is trying to tell us. You need a savior from outside of your siege. Outside of our own making, outside of the best we can do, outside of our own molding and and even our best parenting methods or our resources or our good intentions or our determination. It has to be someone outside of us who can come save us. Poet W.H. Auden said this great line. I love this line. He said, nothing that is possible can save us. We who must die demand a miracle. What's he saying? He's saying nothing in human ability can break this siege. We need something supernatural. And so Micah says, look for the ancient of days. Look for the one who is of old who will show up in Bethlehem. And then he tells them something that may be even more surprising. He tells them, look for a shepherd. A shepherd? Wait, no, we need a warrior. Send John Cena. Send the rock. That's what we need. Micah says, no, you you need a shepherd. You know why? Because you're a sheep. And just so we're all clear, I did not just give us all a compliment, okay? Sheep are are not known for their strength or their smarts. In fact, I saw a movie not long ago where this farmer lost his whole herd of sheep because they got spooked and one after the other just ran off a cliff and fell to their death. Lost the whole flock that way. The thing about a sheep is a sheep contributes nothing to its own defense. It has no defense mechanism. It certainly has no survival instinct. It'll just run off a cliff because it thinks that's the right thing to do. So what, what makes a sheep safe? Well, the sheep's safety is 100% dependent on the ability of the shepherd. That's the whole ballgame, is that shepherd's ability to keep them safe. And so here, Micah says, this shepherd, he will come and he will stand. He will stand and shepherd his people. And we, he says, the sheep dwell securely. That word dwell, it means sit. So you see the picture he's painting, right? He he will stand and shepherd, and therefore we can sit in the nice green grass in safety. And so anytime, anytime you see a flock of sheep laying peacefully in the grass, it's for only one reason. It's because their shepherd is standing watch over them. That's what keeps them safe. And you know, John 10, one of of Jesus' I am statements where he looks out and he says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is saying, I am Micah 5. I am the good shepherd from Bethlehem. I will stand for you so you can sit in peace. To these people under siege, Micah says, look for the good shepherd from Bethlehem. And next he tells them what this good shepherd from Bethlehem will do. And for, keep going to verse 4. He says, first, that he will have the strength of the Lord, not the strength of man. The eternal, endless strength of the Lord. Now, I once heard somebody say that if you have two, I was, we were on a trip to Israel. It was great. And somebody said, well, you know, we were talking about all the disagreements and all the things they wrestled with over there. And he said, well, you know, if you have two Jewish people, that's five opinions. You got to sort three. Well, you know what? It strikes me in Micah's day as they're under siege. Maybe for the first time ever, everybody agrees 
Everybody agrees on what they want. They want the Assyrians gone. Why doesn't it happen? They don't have the strength. They're too weak to get what they need. And you know what? It's the same for you and me. I mean, how many times have you tried to get rid of that sin, to get rid of that anger, that lust, that doubt, that fear? How many times have you tried to fix some evil or injustice, to mend some relationship, to heal some pain, but you don't have the strength? Well, I've got good news. He is strong in all the places that you are weak. He has the strength of the Lord, the complete, omnipotent, everlasting to everlasting strength is on your side because he's your shepherd. Then he says he will be great to the ends of the earth. He's saying this, this guy is going to do so much more than even you were looking for. Because what, what's the best they could hope for? That Assyria would turn around, go back to their city, and then we could be safe right here in our little corner of the world in our city. And Micah says, no, 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 to the ends of the earth. There is no nook or cranny in all of creation that an enemy of God will be able to hide. What is it Philippians says of Jesus? That one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. No exceptions. No dark corner where someone can hide. To the ends of the earth. Finally, he says, he will be their peace. He will be their peace. And y'all, here it is. This is the heart of the matter right here. And let's be clear. He is not talking about peace with the Assyrians. Because by the time this Messiah comes, the Assyrians will be long gone. They'll be replaced with the Babylonians and then the Romans. No, no, no. He's talking about peace with God. And you and I ought to be asking, how is that even possible? I mean, if this siege, if it's just judgment for sin... If they continue in their evil and their idolatry, if they continue to be far from the Lord, if they, if they continue to love injustice, to hate kindness, and to walk in pride, how can they have peace with God? Well, I want you to pay careful attention to what he says. Because he didn't say he'll teach them how to have peace. Or he didn't even say he'll give them peace. What does it say? He will be their peace. Somehow, this Messiah in his person will be their peace. Remember what we said, that the sheep's life depends solely on the presence of the shepherd. That shepherd can't go give that sheep some, you know, some self-defense lessons, teach them what they need to know. No, no, no. It all rides solely on the presence of that shepherd in their life. Yo, know, this, this is amazing. It is amazing how the New Testament talks about Jesus being our shepherd. We've already talked about John 10, where Jesus looks at him, he says, I'm the good shepherd. You know what the next words out of his mouth are? The next thing that he says, and I will lay down my life for my sheep. He will be our peace because he will die for our sins. So all your record of wrongs, all the times you didn't practice Micah 6a are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. I love the picture we see in, the, in Revelation, the wedding supper of the Lamb. It says the saints are given white robes to wear, fresh white robes, spotless robes. And they don't pull them from their closet. They don't make them themselves. They're giving them. That's how Jesus is our shepherd. But you may say, okay, well, do we just keep on living 
contrary to how God wants us to live. I mean, did he really mean the, the do justly, love kindness, walk humbly? Or did he say, oh, I don't worry about that anymore? Well, this good shepherd, he is actually able to break the siege of sin in our hearts. Let's look at Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. It says this, May the God of peace, who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Well, we know now what his will is, right? Micah 6, 8 tells us, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Men and women, he is our peace because he works inside of us the righteousness that we will never be able to work inside of ourselves. He molds us into the people God wants us to be. But the shepherd isn't done. There's more. 1 Peter 5, 4 says this. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Men and women, he is our peace because his presence will bring us into God's eternal kingdom. On that day where he will be great to the ends of the earth. We will be in perfect relationship with him. The enemies of sin and death will finally be vanquished when? When he is with us, when his presence comes, when he returns. So when you... When you realize you are under the siege of sin and death, what do you do? You look for the shepherd. He's the good shepherd who forgives our sins. He's the great shepherd who sanctifies us. He's the chief shepherd who will glorify us one day. And every step of the way, he is our peace. Isn't that amazing? There's something fascinating too to me about Micah 5. So it's a prophecy, and it shows up again in the New Testament. Do you know where it shows up? In Matthew 2, in the story of the wise men, the Magi, coming to see Jesus. Now, this is fascinating. Do you know where the Magi are from? It says they're from the east. They come from the land of the Assyrians. See, when Israel was sent off into exile, they brought some of their scriptures with them, and there were people looking for something over there. And so they started reading some of the scriptures, and they would have read Nehemiah 24, 17, that says, a star will rise out of Jacob. That's what these wise men were reading. And so when they saw the star in the sky, y'all, they traveled for months looking for a Messiah. You know when you generally find something? It's when you're looking for it. Fairly frequently in our home, we have a child who will say, I can't find my shoes, whatever it is. And y'all know the first question we ask, have you looked? These, these magi amaze me because y'all, they, they read this and they were looking for it. So they, they had studied the stars for no telling how long. They had studied the few scriptures that they had, and they had traveled, no telling how, for months, because they were looking for salvation. They somehow knew these magi from, from the land of the Assyrians. They knew that they were under siege to sin and death, and they needed a miracle. They needed something outside of themselves to come save them. In Matthew 2, the people who at once laid siege to Jerusalem now show up there, looking for the shepherd. 
And on the way, they get to Jerusalem. And you know the story. They tell Herod. They tell the chief priest. They don't quite know where to go. And here's the amazing part. You know who quotes Micah 5? It's not the wise men. It's the religious leaders. They knew Micah 5. They knew where he would be coming from. And so picture this. We think the Magi traveled up to 900 miles. These religious leaders here, they are about five miles away. So they'll travel for 900 miles to see the Savior. The religious leaders know the Scriptures and won't even travel five miles. Why? They weren't looking for Him. They weren't looking for a Savior. They were were just like the, the God's people in Micah. Siege, what siege? We're fine. We got all the resources we need. We have the most powerful government. We're the most religious. We're the most moral. God thinks we're awesome. And because they didn't realize they were under siege, they weren't looking for that shepherd from Bethlehem. I wonder, which one are you today? What are you looking for? Are you like Herod this morning? Maybe some of these religious leaders, you know, confident, pretty comfortable, convinced you can make your own peace and your own strength. Listen, if that's, that's you this morning, let me just say this. One day your siege will become apparent and you will do everything the world tells you to do. You'll look inside yourself. You'll be living your best life and it won't be enough. And when it's not enough, here's what you do. When you realize you're under siege, look for the shepherd. Look for him. You can look for him in his word. You know, a lot of our Christmas plays are wrong. The star didn't lead them to Jesus. The scriptures did. The star could get them in the general area, but it took the scriptures to lead them to Jesus. Or maybe you need to look for him in a Bethlehem. You know, maybe there's some Bethlehem in your life, something that seemed insignificant, unimportant, something not even worth writing down. Maybe it's even been a source of frustration for you, annoyance for you. You know you got big problems. Why is this thing in my life? I don't need this. I need something powerful. I need something impressive. I need something that'll wow me and give me goosebumps. Let me just say, stop, stop looking for impressive. Stop looking to the heights of human greatness. Look to the shepherd from Bethlehem. But maybe, you know, maybe there's some here today who are like our friends, the Magi. And if that's you this morning, listen, I'm sure you feel like a stranger in a strange land. You know, I don't have it together like all these religious people seem to. But you feel deeply this morning the siege of sin and death in all of us. And you are looking for a Savior. I want you to know if that is you this morning, I've got great news. Because Jesus has come for you. Maybe that's why he even has you here this morning. Because he wants to be your shepherd. And so if you're here this morning, listen, you've never put your faith in him. We invite you to do that. That's as simple as it. We invite you to simply believe. And we would love to talk to you after the service. You can talk to any of our members, any of our elders. You can come talk to me. We'd love to talk to you about that. And in January, we have a baptism. And you can come and confess your faith, and we will have a big old party. That'll be a great day. You know what? Maybe there's some specific area in your life, some personal sin, some struggle, some brokenness that is pressing down on you like an army laying siege to your life. Today is a great day to remind yourself. 
Listen, so, so many of the things we're looking for, they're not going to deliver what they promise. They won't end the siege. So let's look for Jesus, the good shepherd who forgives us, the great shepherd who will transform your heart, the chief shepherd who will finish the work that he began in your life. Today, stop looking for more resources or resources of the people around you and look for Jesus. And all of us, each and every one of us here, I hope the next time somebody asks you, what are you looking for? Don't Jesus juke them, don't say anything snarky, but maybe just to yourself, remind yourself, I'm looking for that good shepherd from Bethlehem. That's what I'm looking for. He is strong in all the places I'm weak. He is great to the ends of the earth, and he is my peace. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us, and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.